Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm Samantha Oldsfry, the CEO of the Illinois Association of Medicaid Health Plans, also known as IMHIP. In this podcast, we focus on all things surrounding the Illinois Medicaid Managed Care Program. Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm the Sam and Sam Says, and today I'm so glad to welcome back my good friend and expert in all of the things, Sarah Howe, Senior Director at Third Horizon Strategies, to talk to us about mental health of youth and current trends. Sarah, I'm so glad you're back. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. And I'm excited because as folks know, we've been focusing on behavioral health here at I'm Hit this third quarter. And um, you recently wrote a blog post on social media and the effects of mental health on the effects of social media on mental health of youth. And you highlighting, you know, you highlighted a prediction your coworker made that the pediatric behavioral health, you know, would really be top of mind in 2022. And man, was that right? Um, yes. And, like, I just want to really dive into sort of what you're thinking, what you think we'll face collectively as we work through all of the trauma of the past two years and, you know, what that just means for our youth. Right, right. Absolutely. And first, thanks for having me back. I'm super excited to be here and particularly to have this conversation about youth mental health. As you mentioned, early in the year, go back to January, when Mindy, one of my colleagues, said, yep, pediatric behavioral health is going to be right at the top. And you fast forward even just six months later, there was a series by the New York Times talking about what they called the youth mental health crisis. And sometimes we, we use crisis, and we, we kind of throw that term around, but I don't think that was all um, overinflated. It particularly, they talked about the fact that there's a 60% increase between 07 and 2019 in adolescents who reported having a major depressive episode. And I want to pause there. A 60% increase pre-pandemic. So let's stop and think about that. Before the pandemic, we were seeing these increases in teens having mental health crises. Um, we've seen emergency department visits go up quite a bit for anxiety, mood disorders, self-harm. And then unfortunately, there is a plethora of information about suicide. The New York Times article said that um, for ages 10 to 24, it rose almost 60%. Again, that was in 2019. So what we also know is then the pandemic hit. And since that time, we have seen what can really only be described as alarming numbers of individuals, both youth and adults, where we have seen our mental health indicators going in the wrong direction. We also know that there's been an epidemic of loneliness that was already part of the national dialogue. But again, the pandemic and the, the social isolation brought that on. And I think it's really important right now for you to be having this conversation because we're coming out of the pandemic. You know, we've had a summer where people, they're out and about, they're going to concerts, they're back at stadiums, like, oh, life is back to quote unquote normal. But when you talk about your mental health, it doesn't just, it's not a switch. It, it, you just don't flip that switch. So I think this is a really good time, particularly when you're talking back to school, uh, we're talking about the new 988 line and how we triage crisis calls. I mean, there's so much. And, and you know, from our last conversation, Sam, 
we could have a three hour conversation about this. I'm not sure your listeners hang with us for three hours, but I know we could talk about it for quite a while. Yes. And I think that is like, there's so much I want to unpack there, but I just want to flag for our listeners and like underscore that, that significant increase, but like starting at age 10, like those Mm -hmm. are, those are kids. And I think as we see more and more that this is impacting younger and younger children. And we used to think about mental health for adults. And then we thought, oh, well, teenagers and college kids, it's high pressure time. And now it's even younger and younger. And I don't know Mm -hmm. if if you have information or, or thoughts on, if you have information or thoughts on why that is or sort of what has happened societally um, that, that brings that about? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's a really good question why we're seeing it younger and younger. Um, I think there's a couple things. I mean, we've, we've seen from some of the statistics, I mean, all the way the American Academy of Pediatrics have declared a national emergency in child and mental health. I mean, so that's the, the first thing is that we've already seen a national emergency from pediatrics recognizing this. I have never seen, and admittedly, am I you know tracking on their website all the time? No, but I, I'm pretty pretty confident that this is the first time we've seen them sort of declare this national emergency. Now, they say both children and adolescents, but I think part of it, again, goes back to that pandemic, which really intensified <clears throat> a lot of things for both adults and, and youth. So what we also know, let's kind of unpack this a little bit more, that when you talk about adults, there's a whole other piece that I find really fascinating. During the pandemic, households with kids had significantly higher rates of economic hardship. So there's that first thing that you're talking about the adults and that economic hardship, which led to increased rates of stress and anxiety not just among those parents, but among the kids. So I, again, I think you can't unpack the pandemic from it completely, yet we also know there are more pressures that are put on kids at a younger age. We, you know, there's a whole host of uh, things we can talk about with social media, which is one of my favorite topics to discuss that I'm sure we'll get into. And you know, at what age do we start really introducing kids to social media? What kind of pressures? come with that? What levels of anxiety do we hear? What, what goes on in the cyber bullying world? I mean, there's, you know, I, I hesitate to be one of those people that says in my day, it was so much easier. And now life is just difficult because we all know that every generation has their own challenges and their own struggles. And, and we recognize that they're unique to that generation and that time frame. But I think today, we had not seen a pandemic for a hundred years. So this is very different. The playbook we know is different for a pandemic. At the same time, you're intersecting all of these other pieces, societal pressures that come along. So yeah, when you're talking about a 10-year-old, some of the heartbreaking stories you hear, particularly, you know, when you start talking about suicide and um, self-harm, it's just heartbreaking to think that a a 10-year-old eight-year-old would would get to that point. But that's what we are seeing and we know it's there. I mean, the American Academy of Pediatrics has said, no, this is a national crisis. So we, we absolutely can't ignore it for sure. 
I'm so glad you brought up social media because that is as a mom and I have a six year old. So like, as we start dipping down in age, I start thinking, oh my goodness. Like I thought I had more time to think and deal and plan for this. And maybe I don't. You've talked about oversight and regulations when it comes to addressing and escalating social media crisis among our youth. And, you know, comparing it to how we tackle big tobacco, which I found like super interesting. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, This is something that I have, I followed pretty closely. Early in my career, I did some work in the tobacco space uh, and particularly on the master settlement agreement. So as I was unpacking this social media monstrosity that we have, I, it was one of the things that I thought there is some, some connection here. And so I think we really need to think about this a little bit more. So I'm not necessarily saying that, you know, everything needs to be a settlement. I mean, particularly like today, we're talking about opioid settlements, right? And I'm not necessarily saying that, but, but that's a big, but let's go back and look at what we talked about in tobacco, which was really historic. So Over 25 years ago, the tobacco industry was required to pay states 206 billion with a B dollars over 25 years. And they had to make significant changes to their advertising and particularly how they targeted youth. So they had to, there were limitations on cigarette advertising. And I'm sure all of your listeners, they remember that we used to see a lot more ads for cigarettes. We used to see them in magazines quite a bit. We used to see a billboards, Joe Camel. I mean, how many people remember Joe Camel? Remember the Marlboro Man? We used to see all of these things. Well, we, there were significant limitations put on that. There was a ban on the use of cartoon characters because youth used to recognize Joe Camel was one of the cartoon characters they recognized, which from a marketing standpoint, I'm sure worked really well for tobacco. Uh, we couldn't do branded merchandise. Uh, We had to limit sponsorship. Like there used to be the Virginia Slims tennis tournament. So we, we did all this. And why did we do that? Because tobacco was targeting youth so that they could get younger customers, lifelong customers. And, and at, on the tobacco side of things, we needed lifelong customers because we were losing customers to lung cancer and to death which we still do today with tobacco, but our numbers and our rates of cigarette smoking, smoking thankfully have gone down because of this settlement. At the same time, now let's, let's turn a little bit and talk about social media where we don't necessarily have a direct correlation or even a, a causation between you know, tobacco and lung cancer. We, we, can, we can put those two together. But what we do have, and this is where I've really found it really interesting, is we do know that social media from research is linked to depression. It has similar brain responses as other addictive substances. The industry itself is expected to grow. So economically in 2021, social media had a almost $160 billion economic impact, moving to what they expect to be about 225 billion in 2022. So that's a 40% growth in one year. So let's not kid ourselves that social media is a fun thing that we do. 
it's a time waster. We see what's going on. No, th this is a business like anything else. Now let's factor in the fact that we have called into Congress significant individuals that lead these social media enterprises. And we have asked them what they have done about some of the research that we've found because it's been out there and we know it. And what we have found is that they're perpetuating these addictive behaviors. They've actually hidden their own research on addiction and the toxic effects. This actually, this is where I almost felt like they were talking about tobacco. Senator Blumenthal, who's the chair of the Senate Consumer Protection Subcommittee, actually said Instagram, quote, hidden its own research on addiction and the toxic effects of its products. It attempted to deceive the public in the Congress about what it knows and has weaponized children's vulnerabilities against children themselves. It has chosen growth over children's mental health and well-being and greed over pre preventing the suffering of children. When you pull that back, that could have been a hearing in the 60s. Like we could have been talking about tobacco. That's where, and I know I've spent a lot of time on this, but I, I really feel like here we are in this day and age looking at what has happened in the opioids, with the opioid settlements, where we're targeting communities, we're targeting individuals, and we've now got these large settlements across the country to say, hey, you can't do that. You can't just target people for your own profits. But somehow we give social media a pass. And yet we have demonstrated research that it is impacting our collective mental health, but particularly growing brains. And we know addiction and growing brains is a big challenge. Right. And I, and I think like if you, anybody has spent 10 minutes on Instagram, 10 minutes on Facebook, TikTok, you know, Twitter, pick up, pick, pick your poison, if you will. Right. Go down that. It's so easy, so quick to go down that rabbit hole. And yep. that's for adults. That's for adults mm -hmm. who have other things they need to do, who have coping mechanisms, who sort of can understand, who can like, who have capability to decipher what's real, what's fake, what's, yep. um, you know. Yeah. What, how we, we have the, I mean, we talk about brain development, you have that opportunity to kind of discern between the two, although right now in an era of fact checking and, you know, bots and, and I mean, we could, you could spend a whole other topic just talking about yes. what, what the collective psyche, what are that social media and fake news and false information uh, on any side of the aisle for anything. I mean, right. you, it has changed our collective national psyche and how we view news and quote unquote news. You know, what is it? Yeah. So, I, I, yeah, it's a, it has changed brain chemistry and that in and of itself is the problem. So where, where do we as a society then stop and say, okay, enough is enough. We have enough research, which is again, what we did in tobacco. We have enough research that says, this is not good. It is demonstrated harm. And you, X company, are perpetuating that purposely. While at the same time, we as a collective society are also looking at what do we do about our own mental health? How do we 
triage crisis? How do we handle the increase in suicides? We have a new 988 number across the country, but we still need enough people to actually man the phones because we have an increase in calls and not enough staff. All these things are happening at the same time we're being targeted to be on social media more. And so are youth. So it's not, to me, it's not a surprise that we're seeing younger and younger age with more mental health concerns. And, and when you think of that, it, it also, it used to be when they were younger, your family, the, the community could kind of buffer those younger kids from like the pressures yeah. of yeah. high school. And it used to be the pressures of college, right? Like, and, it, and right and now, um, yep. It's with social media, like it's all sort of, it's, it's spreading. How do, as, as a parent, how do you, how do you choose in the day, right? What, what you tackle, you know, and I mean, what, at what age now do you give your child a phone or an iPad and then let them get their own account and then monitor that account? And then there's fake accounts and Finstas and whatever I'm too old probably to know the right terms anymore, <laughs> but you know, what, what do you do as a parent? How, how do you choose? And I mean, cyberbullying, whole other issue that we're seeing, you know, at the same time. So I think, you know, not to give your listeners like a hopelessness. I think we talked about this the last time, like, wow, this is a real downer of a podcast today. We don't want to completely do that. I will say that we have seen some good things that have particularly come out from uh, the administration that is really working on a global, um, like globally meaning, you know, in in terms of from across the continuum and across the lifespan on mental health, they are looking at all kinds of pieces to support mental health, particularly with children and youth. So they've invested more dollars in the Healthy Schools Program, which works on well-being for children. There's the Surgeon General has put out a very lengthy and detailed advisory on highlighting the needs of children's mental health. And it actually talks about paying attention to online harms and the impact of social media. So this is something that our Surgeon General is looking into at at the highest levels. And then we've actually established at HHS a new center of excellence on social media and mental wellness. So that uh, notice of funding went out in uh, early this summer, I think it was due in July. So I don't believe the announcement's been made yet on who's going to get that funding, but we're starting. Now, let's go back to the fact that we said it was like a 200 plus billion dollar industry. And we're going to put $2 million into this national center. Um, again, let's go back to how much money tobacco, alcohol, some, <laughs> some of the addictive substances we know put into marketing versus the dollars that we have to support this work. That said, it's better than nothing. And having these conversations, I think is really critical as well. Absolutely. It's it's sort of the beginning of the discussion. And maybe what it'll do is people who are listening will think, okay, maybe I need to worry a little bit more about my 10 year old on YouTube or, you know, I think it's, it's both, what do we do collectively as a society? And then what do we do individually and how do we yep. support folks as they're making these very challenging decisions as a parent yes. are in some of the most stressful time periods? Yes. Ever. Yes. I, 
Yes. And, and with our own mental health, right? Yeah, you know, I was at a, um, at a, an event recently that was talking about youth mental health and the phrase, it's okay to not be okay came up. And, and we say that a lot. I mean, it's one of the things that we say out of the gate all the time, particularly in our field in mental health, but it's, it's really true. And yet I think we as a society have to truly embrace that too. I mean, there's a lot of us saying, okay, it's okay not to be okay. But then the moment somebody falters, we still have a great ability to put that out there. It's the breaking news. I mean, you know, let's look at the the tragedy of Anne Heche, who by all accounts had been out of, I mean, she's continued to do acting work, but it's sort of been out of the public, regular daily life. And then as soon as something horrible that ultimately ended in tragedy for her and, and even the other families that were caught up in this, we had no problems going on and on about, well, what was she doing? Well, what was her mental health like? Well, what was happening? I mean, we just piled on until her unfortunate, untimely death. And then people backed off a little bit at that point. But still, up until that time, we had no problem just going after somebody. So is it okay not to be okay? What We say that, but what do we back that message up? I love that you said that. And I, it reminds me of, I've seen this said before, like where other sort of like celebrity challenges come up Mm -hmm. and they, I, I, inevitably somebody wise and sage says something along the lines of so-and-so in this instance, Anne Hayes may not see your tweet, Mm -hmm. but your friend struggling in silence with X, Y, Z could yes your yes. friend of a friend your sibling your you know your parent your right. you know your child and you right. are you are communicating your inner values with mm-hmm. that and what right. does that mean not just for that celebrity who like we maybe expect more of unfairly because they are in fact right. human right but what does that mean for the normal humans, quote unquote, air quote, normal humans in your life. And what does that Mm -hmm. mean, especially to your children? What are you accidentally conveying? Right. In some of that. Exactly. Exactly. I think, again, you just mentioned Twitter and social media. Without even thinking about it, right? We're like, oh, that message went out over what? Twitter. (laughs) That message went out over Facebook. You know, exactly. I mean, we, I mentioned earlier magazines. How many of your listeners have picked up a hard copy magazine outside of being in their doctor's office waiting room, right? I mean, we have it on our phones. We can read through it. We have podcasts every day. I mean, each of us have our favorite podcasts that we listen to. And I mean, there are podcasts that are dedicated to what celebrity messed up today. That's what they're dedicated to. So Yeah. And then we tweet about it. And I think you are so right, Sam, when you talk about that, that celebrity probably isn't going to see your tweet. Although of course, at some point they see the collective and that has to not be great on their psyche either. But yes, when we scroll through Twitter, what do we see? What are the messages that are out there? So if it's truly okay, not to be okay, which I would argue who is, like who is okay right now with everything going on 
it's great that we acknowledge that, but then you got to back it up and you got to walk the talk and walk the walk. It's important. Absolutely. It really, really does. Oh, Sarah, we could go on forever and ever. I know. Um, And there's so much I still want to unpack. I want to, before we end, you guys are so awesome at sort of predicting and forecasting what we're going to be talking about. What are those other behavior health trends you're seeing? Um, and you think yeah. we're going to see end of this year, 2023. Yep. Yep. Well, I think one of the things that will be con- continue to be talked about is how telehealth is impacting our behavioral health space. Cause we're also really starting to see these, um, remote behavioral health groups pop up. You know, there, there's different, again, if you listen to a podcast, surely one of them will be sponsoring said podcast, right? But how is that going to impact the delivery of services that we provide? What is it that consumers are going to be asking for? We spend a lot of time talking about the fact that we want, we typically would like mental health to be anchored to our community. I mean, your members work in Illinois. They want them to get services in Illinois from licensed providers. And as a whole, I think most of us expect when we get our healthcare services, we know that they've been through some rigor. They've been through medical school. They've been through a certification program. They've been through licensure, all of those pieces. And what we see popping up kind of around that are the online spaces and please don't misunderstand me. I'm not necessarily saying those online spaces are bad. I'm not saying they don't have reputable individuals. That is not the point of this conversation. But what is the role of community in this conversation? There's something to be said for people like to have a very private space where they're talking about their own mental health, that there's an opportunity for you to reach out to somebody, which is why we have 988 again, where we can reach across to somebody and, and really that outstretched hand, that, that real very uh, visceral uh, picture that we have in our head, right? Of that outstretched hand in the darkness. That's kind of what 988 is. And that's what some of these um, online companies are doing. So I'm not saying it's not a bad thing, but in, I do think we have to peel back a little bit and say, you also, mental health is in your community. I mean, it's how you live every day. It's the people you interact with, the environment you're in. And there's a reason why we have quote unquote community mental health centers. That's why we created CMHCs across the country. That's why we're seeing the outgrowth of community behavioral health clinics now, because we believe that mental health is anchored in the community. So from a trend standpoint, I think we need to think about how are we really going to work? Is it going to be side by side? Is there going to be an integration? I think that we don't know yet. We have to see what's going to happen here in the tech, but, but we cannot discount the fact that technology is going to inevitably and permanently change how we do business in the mental health space. It has changed in the physical health space, right? telehealth visits, doctor visits, you know, I can call to, in 10 minutes, I can get on the phone and find somebody on my, on my phone and do a, a virtual visit. That also is starting to change in mental health. And we just don't have quite the answers on how that's going to change. But I also think we have to go back to the consumer and the patient 
what is it they want? What are their expectations? We have a generation of kids that have grown up, as we circle back to youth, that have grown up with phones, that have grown up texting, have grown up sending messages. How are they going to want to get their healthcare delivered? And this is actually broader than mental health, really, as we talk all of healthcare. Technology is disrupting everything. I mean, what Amazon, we just saw it purchase, you know, large healthcare. So Amazon healthcare, I mean, there you go. The, the, we're seeing it, the evolution right now. Can't quite figure out what that evolution is going to look like at the very end, but it's happening today. And I think what I'm hearing from you, and I could not agree more, there's so much. I would love to do another podcast on this topic alone technology, telehealth, you know, the broadening of access, but how do you Mm -hmm. broaden the access and make sure that it's the same product, right? Like that it is a product that consumers understand that this is the same type of credentialed provider, that this is safe, that this like healthcare is a, 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 very from an economic standpoint there, it is not two-sided in terms of the level of information both the consumer and the practitioner have. And so how do you make sure that we put safeguards in place and whether that is just accurate, clear, what is this? What is this not? Right. And how do we also make sure it's regulated in a similar fashion? Um, Right. Right. I mean, I think yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, Amazon acquiring one medical, what, what does that mean for us? Like how, in some respects, if you look at how Amazon disrupted the entire market, I mean, now, you know, you've got Amazon and Whole Foods together and how many of us, you know, really shop anymore, right? It, it was complete market disruptor, changed everything. We don't even really go to malls anymore. Now, they're moving into the medical space and will customers and patients trust a tech company as their healthcare guide. And that's really the big key. And, and where's, what are we going to expect? And part of this, I think we need to think back to what we as consumers need and want. And we have to be more of a partner in our own healthcare. Which is a whole other topic. (laughs) But absolutely. Oh my gosh, Sarah. And this is why I tip, teed off our conversation on Sarah Howe, the expert of all of the things. Uh, I, she, uh, you are so wise. You have such a deep grasp of healthcare and the space and what's moving and, and sort of what's coming next. I will have you back on for sure. Thank you for your time, my friend. Oh, you're so welcome. I enjoy it every time. Love our conversations. Oh God. And to our listeners to learn more about what I'm hip is doing and to listen to other interesting podcasts like this one, we encourage you to visit our website, imhip.net. And don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Also always on social media. (laughs) I'm Samantha Oldsfry. The Sam and Sam says, thanks for joining us. And until next time, be well and stay safe.